0: Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, if you will, and since I don't have scripture up here, you'll have to turn and you'll have to look at it as I read it or read it as I read it, and then when I refer to other scripts, you'll also have to use your Bible to turn there. So, I mean, this is the old-fashioned way, right? This is the way it used to be. Before we had electronics, we actually opened the Bible up in the church. We actually read from the scripture. Uh, Let me say this, that the songs that we just sang, I am so amazed of the love that God has for us. I cannot fathom how deep and how wide and how, how intense his love is for me and for you. We all know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but I still cannot comprehend why. And people say, well, it's 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 love. It's not only that, but it's the very grace of God that he loved us so much and he gave so much grace through his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And I cannot to this day cannot comprehend that i just don't have a handle on it and if i could ever get the handle on the depth of god's love for me i would probably do backflips wouldn't you like to see that <laughs> i want us to look at six major points in this passage of scripture i hope you brought your lunch with you <laughs> just kidding Now this is about the prodigal son. But it could also be about the prodigal father. And I'm not going to read the entire scripture, I'm going to read it as we go. The parable of the lost son. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Now Jesus had parables prior to this and one or two afterwards. This, is, this was a teaching lesson. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that follow to me. This was the decision of the son. Now, I titled this message, I'm out of here. You ever said that phrase, I'm out of here, man. I'm gone. Sometimes when you have a job and you don't like it, And you say, I've had enough of this, I'm out of here. So the decision of the son was, okay, I'm out of here. Now, there are three out of here's in this passage of Scripture. The first out of here is the son making that decision to leave. I'm out of here. The second out of here was when he decided to leave the far country, go home. And the third out of here was the the older son... Who said, I'm out of here. I'm not going to the banquet. So are the three out of here. But the decision of the son, when he said, Father, give me the goods that follow to me. And the Bible says that he divided unto them his living. Now, when I look at this, and it says he divided unto them his living. Unto who? Them? Plural. So not only did he give the portion of his inheritance to the younger son, he also gave the portion of his inheritance to the older son. And that didn't dawn on me until last night. So he was not showing partiality. And God does not show partiality to me nor to you. God is not a partial God. All those that come to him, he accepts just as they are. We sing the old hymn, just as I am without one plea, that thy blood was shed for me. It doesn't matter what condition one finds himself in, God is still God, and God wants that individual to become a clean human being, a spiritual human being. So the father did as the son asked. That was the son's decision to leave. The son was a member of the household by name, but not truly connected with the father in total sonship. He only used the father when there was a want. And the word prodigal means wasteful, extravagant. So he started packing his things. Okay, he made his list out. Electric toothbrush, Reeboks, Adidas, uh, uh, running shoes, so forth and so on. So he got his backpack. He packed that thing just as full as he could get it. And after he filled that backpack up, but I'm sure that he got his sandals, his tunic, and and I'm sure he had just, just a wardrobe that was amazing. So the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm just inferring some things here. So he probably just had all kinds of uh, of cloth bags or whatever they used back then to to pack their their things in to go on a trip and he loaded his camels up now this was not a poor individual because the bible says that his father had hired servants they weren't slaves they were hired servants so the, the father uh, apparently was very wealthy what he didn't realize, the younger son, was that he was only taking the things that were, were material and was taking nothing of the wisdom and the instruction of the Father. He just wanted material things. And there are a lot of Christians in our churches today that just want material things. I want, I want, I want, I want. Have you ever been in the grocery store and you see a a little kid said, Mommy, I want this. Mommy, I want that. I want this. I want that. I was in a store not too long ago. This kid was saying, Mommy, I want this. And he just kept on and on and on. And his mother said no. Well, he laid on his back, started kicking and screaming. You know what I would have done to that kid? (laughs) Huh? Can you even imagine me being from the old school? What would have happened to that child? I would have grabbed him by the heels and I would have wore his his rear end out. I would have. You know, but now we just make our kids have time out. Oh, time out from what? And I know several parents who have time out for the kids. The Bible says you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. I may have told you this when I preached before about my mother spanking me. She had a rubber arm. (laughs) It doesn't matter where I was in the neighborhood. It seemed like that arm would stretch out there and grab me and pull me back to the house and wear my rear end out because I did something wrong. And we used switches back then. (laughs) Do y'all know what a switch is? You go pick you go pick yeah, yeah. I had to go pick my own switch off of a peach tree that never had one peach on it because I kept the switches pulled off of it. <laughs> and my mother would draw that switch back, and I'd go to dancing before she even hit me. And she would start at my ankles and come all the way up to here. And I'd be screaming like an Indian. And I remember one time I had to go get a switch, and I came back in and I started dancing and screaming before she ever hit me, and she started laughing so hard she couldn't spank me. I said, oh, that's the ticket. That's what I need to do every time. And in school, when I misbehaved, I had a third grade teacher by the name of Miss Yarborough. She was the meanest, ugliest, human being I had ever seen in my entire life. She was full-blooded Cherokee Indian. And if I was talking in class, which I wasn't supposed to be doing anyway, she would come up behind me with that three-foot yardstick. Y'all know what a yardstick is? (laughs) Now, she didn't hit me with a flat side. She hit me with the thin side right on my head. And to this day, I have about 40 knots back here. Not really, but anyway, what I'm saying is this, that when we resist the instruction of the father, there are consequences. And this young man resisted the instruction of his father, and there followed consequences. In circles of religion and churches across America, there are many Members, by name only, but have never accepted the love of the Father through the salvation that is provided through the vicarious suffering and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Did I ever tell you all about the Sunday school teacher in Virginia when I was preaching a revival there? Did I, I don't want to tell the same story twice. Did I ever tell you all that story? No? No? That means no. Okay, well, Anyway. I was preaching a revival in a small town in Virginia with a friend that I went to seminary with who was an ex-Air Force pilot who was also in seminary at the time. And uh, I had preached Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday nights. And on Friday night, I had some, some young people in the church that we had a little singing group and I sang bass, Mama sang tenor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, they got through singing, and I you know, got through preaching, or I was preaching, and uh, you know, the Holy Spirit was just moving mildly in that congregation. And so when the invitation was given, the pastor was standing there, and I was standing there, and this lady comes forward. She doesn't go to her pastor, she came to me. And she told me, she says, Brother Jim, she says, I've been teaching Sunday school for 10 years, and I am not saved. So you see what the power of God can do? And I led that young lady to Jesus Christ right there in that church. When I was passing a church in North Carolina... They were big. Have you ever seen, this was a a Southern Baptist church. You ever seen those Sunday school pens? Anybody here ever in the Southern Baptist church? No? Okay, I won't. That's fine. (laughs) But I was was saved in the Southern Baptist church, and I thank God for that. And the church that I pastored in North Carolina, it was called ALERT, was the name of the little community. And you better be alert when you go through there because there's nothing there. And it was a Mountain Grove Baptist Church. Well, anyway, I ran that rabbit straight out into the woods. Where'd he go? (laughs) All right. Oh, yeah, Sunday school pens. The Sunday school pens. I remember that they were so big on getting the Sunday school pens. And there was this one gentleman by the name of Hugh Mosley. He had so many Sunday school pens, he almost drugged the ground. He was an older guy. And I remember he had to be in the hospital one particular Sunday and I was informed that I was going to the hospital and teach him a Sunday school lesson that Sunday morning before I came to preach so that he could continue getting his pins. Well, pins don't impress God. It's the condition of the heart that presses God. And yes, I do have a few Sunday school pins, but I don't wear them because I grew out of that. And I realized that Sunday school pens don't make a hill of beans, and it doesn't impress God. What impresses God is a right and contract heart. That impresses God. The best decision that anyone will ever make is to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It doesn't matter how loud I sing, how high I raise my hands, how many praises I shout nor high, high jump. What matters is how I walk when my feet are on the ground. I had an uncle, and I'll tell you this story. This is true. I didn't see this, but some of my family were were sort of like Pentecostal or or Assembly of God people. Okay, my mother told me this story, but they were having church, and the story was that the Holy Spirit moved mightily. And my mother told me that my uncle stood up on the pew and started crowing like a rooster. Now, folks, that is not God. God doesn't want us to act like a bunch of animals in church, as my uncle supposedly did. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. I would love to have been there to see my uncle crowing like a rooster standing on the pew. I would have loved to have seen that. I would have had a heyday. I would have started baying like a a donkey. (laughs) You know, just, you know. So God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth and to exalt him. Now look at uh, verse 13. And not many days after, not many days after, the uh, younger son said, Father, I'm out of here. I want to leave. He gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous righteous living. It doesn't tell us what country it went to, but apparently it was far away. And he became so rebellious, and I'm sure that he, his father gave him instruction on how to conduct his life, what to do, what not to do. So this young man has packed everything he has, and he goes into this far country. It was a willful decision for the son to leave. No argument had occurred that we were made aware of. No strife between the father and the son, causing the son to make this decision to leave the father. Anytime that we sin, anytime that I sin, it's willful. It's not by accident that I sin. It's not by accident that any one of us sins. It is a willful act of the flesh. Sin is a conscious choice. On our part, be it small or be it large, and forgiveness is the choice of the Father. The Bible teaches me that all who come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. There is nothing any human being on this earth can do that God will not accept him when he comes to Jesus Christ. He opens his arms wide and says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. When I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ on March the 25th, 1973, that was a life-changing experience. And it always is, no matter how big or how small a sinner a person is, it takes the same amount of the grace of God as it does to save the most vile sinner as it does to make a, a, an acceptable person in society a Christian. It takes just as much of the grace of God to save the most vile or the most good. Not many days after the son got his portion of the inheritance, he gathered his stuff up, left his father, and took that far journey. But you know, we don't have to travel very far to be outside the will of God. I don't have to travel very far to be outside the will of God. The road that one leaves on to travel outside the will of God is the same road that leads us back into the will of the Father God. The Bible says the son wasted all his living, all that the Father had given him with righteous living. No doubt he was trying to impress the women with his money and living the life of a man of substance. He said, Oh man, he said every- everything's on me, all the drinks are on me, all the food is on me, everything is on me. And pretty soon all that righteous living got him in a lot of trouble. When we waste our times and talents that we have used for God and decide to live a totally different life without God, we will find ourselves in the same predicament as the son. Once we have wasted our spiritual gifts and worldliness, we cannot reclaim the time but only wish we had the time back. I wanted to preach on spiritual gifts today, but I, I couldn't. But every one of you, has a spiritual gift, whether you know it or not. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, then you need to seek out what that spiritual gift is. I was going to preach on that particular subject on how to know what your spiritual gift is, how to use that spiritual gift for the glory of God. But the Lord wouldn't let me preach on that. There are many times in my life that I wish I had done things differently. Don't you? Oh, would I change some things? Would I ever? But I can't reclaim those days. I can't reclaim those times. I can't do something differently than what I did because I don't have that time back. But I wish I had some of that time back so I could change things and do things differently. But that's not the way that it works. In Christians' lives, people that I know have wasted a lot of their spirituality on worldly things, me included. And I wish, so many times I wish, God, I wish I had not done this. I wish I had not done that. I wish I had that time back to use for you, but I can't reclaim that. Now I want you to look at uh, verses 14 through 19. And the Bible says, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to his citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have done anything to fill his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And the Bible says that when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to to uh, to eat and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy thy hired servants. When this man, this young man has spent everything, there as I read, there came a famine in the country and he began to need food and I'm sure his clothing was torn, ragged, he probably needed a bath. Having to work in the fields of swine, I'm sure he needed a bath. In this modern day, he would have made a sign scribbled on cardboard, we'll work for food. You see this on a lot of street corners. I'm not making light. Now, trust me, I'm not making light of a true homeless person. I did see a man standing on the street corner says, I will not lie, I need a drink. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen that? I will not lie, I need a drink. And for the most part, I think that is what is going on out there. So this young man became so hungry, he had seriously considered eating what the swine were eating. Now what the swine were eating was called a carob pod, C-A-R-O-B pod. A carob pod is a purplish brown pod that grows on a Mediterranean Sertonia silica or carob tree. How do you like that scientific name? I'm pretty smart, aren't I? Okay, inside the the leathery pods, which vaguely resemble a shriveled up banana, you'll find a row of seeds surrounded by lots of sticky pulp, used for fattening pigs. It's 50% sugar. You want to gain weight? Get you some carapods. <laughs> You'll gain it in a hurry. Now, they do make chocolate out of carapods now, and it's rather good for you. I won't say that the sugar is good for you, but, uh, you know, the carapods are supposed to be good since they have made that and processed that into a food. When I went to my grandfather's and grandmother's house, they had what they call a slop jar. Anybody know what a slop jar is? if you don't, okay. A slop jar was a thing they put, thrown out, you know, they were throwing food away or scraps or something like that. And, you know, the, the slop jar could be of any size. And they would take that slop jar. And I had to take that slop jar one day out to feed the pigs. Oh. <laughs> Oh, it was it was awful. How in the world a pig could eat this is just beyond me. And they would pour it in what they called the pig trough. You ever seen a pig trough? Most of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. A, a pig trough was a board on each end and it was shaped like a V. And you would pour that slop, which I called it, you'd pour that slop in that V-shaped uh, pig trough, and the pigs would just go up there and just uh, gobble that stuff up and this guy became so hungry that he would, eat the, he would have eaten the carapods. It is here that when we find ourselves spiritually starved and bankrupt, and there's no one uh, around to offer any kind of spiritual guidance, that we become isolated and there's no brother nor sister around to pull us out of the muck that we're in. Oftentimes when we see a brother or sister fall into sin, we want to condemn them. We want to blame and say, oh, it's your fault. It's your fault that this happened, and here are the consequences. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Why not? Jesus came to seek and to save those which are lost. You look at the people that he called to be disciples. Most of them were pretty vile, hard-nosed. And when a brother or sister falls into sin, what do you and I do? We say, well, I knew it wouldn't last long. And I've heard people say that, not so much in this church, but other churches. I've heard people condemn an individual when they fall into sin, they they get out of the church. And there's no brother or sister to go to them and say, hey, I want you to know that I love you and I'm here for you. And I want to help you if I possibly can. Where has our Christianity gone? Where has our love for our brother and sister gone? And until we realize that we are an instrument of God and God wants to use us as an instrument to help that brother or sister out of sin and to show them the pathway back home. God forgive me for the times I failed to do that. The Bible says that when he came to his senses, he began the conversation with himself. You ever talk to yourself? Boy, I do. If you're riding the truck with me when I'm going down to Georgia to work on this house that I'm working on, for a person that lives in Auburn, Alabama, they only go to this house about once or twice every year, and the the front porch is 1,200 square feet. The house was built back in the 1800s. 12-foot ceilings, 24 by 24 bedrooms. I get lost in that house. So when I'm riding down the road, I have a conversation with myself. And that conversation could just, I mean, for four hours, I just talked to myself. So this young man had a conversation with himself, and and it was time to decide his next step. He thought of all the servants that his father had, and all of them were hired. These were not slaves, that they were not in want. They were not perishing, but he was. So his decision was to get up from the despair and return to the Father, admitting that he had sinned not only against heaven, but also against his Father. We can't talk our way back into the graces of the Heavenly Father. We have to admit that we have sinned against him, and when we admit that, then and then only can we receive forgiveness. I can talk about repentance. I can talk about, Lord, I'm sorry, but until I am truly sorry and say, God, forgive me that I have sinned against you, then I can find, I can find forgiveness. Had the son stopped at that point, there would not have been any remorse or regret moving him into repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, if you want to jot this down. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. This young son wasn't looking to be restored as he, as he once was and you know, have all the, the lavish things that he once had. He just wanted to be one of the higher servants. And if you'll look in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, this is the test of true obedience. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if, if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a, a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Every one of us, we get dressed in the morning, we look into the mirror, right? I assume that you do. I hope that you do. If I got got up in the morning, I went out like I looked when I first got up, there would be car crashes everywhere. But when I look into the mirror, what do I see? Really, what do I see? Do I see this handsome, dashing man? Do I see this handsome, dashing man? (laughs) A knight in shining armor? No. When I really look at this man in the mirror, I see a man who is vile. I see a man who is prone to wonder. Away from God and in need of daily repentance. And I'm not saying that I go out here with righteous living. That's not what I'm saying. But when I look in the mirror, I see a sinful man. But when God looks at me and I'm totally clean with repentance, God sees that knight in shining armor. Do you realize that the moment that you were saved, you were the cleanest that you will ever be? That very instant that you became a born again believer, you were spotless, totally cleansed, without blemish. But then, just a few hours later, boy, sin begins to prone. You begin to, to uh, you're prone to wander, and and Satan begins to attack you. It wasn't, it wasn't a week after I was saved that I began to doubt my salvation. And do you know where that attack comes from? It comes from Satan himself. He doesn't want you to believe that you have been born again. Because if you don't believe that, you cannot be effective for the kingdom of God. So he attacked me so hard and with such force that we had what we call visitation. We would go knock on doors and witness for Jesus Christ. And I was saying, Lord, I hope you're not home. So that way I won't have to witness. That was an attack of Satan. But churches don't do that much anymore. They don't go out on what they call visitation and visit people who they know are lost and try to get them to come to the place of repentance and to trust Jesus as their Savior. If I look in my Bible in Romans chapter 10, verses 9, 10, 10 and 13, I will see a name in there. I was teaching a, a Bible class at the Masonic Children's Home in Macon, Georgia. And after I got through teaching, there was a young lady by the name of Patty Arthur that I led to the Lord. She was probably 14, 15 years old. And I had one of these sort of pink felt tilt pens in my Bible. And after I uh, led her to the Lord and we we began to talk and I began to mingle with some of the other teenagers there, and most of those teenagers were there because of broken homes or alcoholic moms or dads or things of that, nature. they were all just destitute. They were starved of attention. They were starved of spirituality. They were starved to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And this young girl committed herself to Jesus and she wrote in my Bible, Jim Reader saved Patty Arthur on such and such date in 1974. And I looked at that, and the next time I saw her, I said, Patty, I said, I didn't save you. I said, I just showed you the, the way to salvation. I said, Jesus did the saving, you know. But what a testimony that was in my scripture in, in the Bible. That she really and truly was born again by the Spirit of God. Let's look at the devotion of the father in Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. And the Bible says the young man arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, let me stop there. The father never stopped looking for his son. Never. I can see in my mind's eye right now, this young man, just a tattered, torn, dirty, probably smelly, uh, you know, hasn't shaved, hasn't, you has, know, has his hair hasn't been combed, his beard hasn't been combed, whatever the, the circumstance was. I can see this man coming now, walking over a sand dune or, or over a hill, and his father's out here somewhere in, in his yard, or in his field or whatever, he's continually looking for his son to come home. And if you have someone in your family or someone that you know that has become the prodigal son, don't quit looking. Don't give up. Because God is still looking for that individual. And he will not stop looking until he is found again. Had God given up on me so many times, there's no telling where I would be. But God kept his eye on me and kept looking for me. And when I came home, what did God do? He celebrated the same as his father did. When the father saw his son, the Bible says that he ran to him. He didn't jog, he ran. And it was unlike an elderly man in that day to run. It was not becoming of a man in that day to run. But this man loved his son so much that he took out a stride and began to run and wore those Adidas out getting to his son. It was amazing. What a reunion that was. And the Bible says that he didn't just hug him, that he fell on his neck. And the Bible says that he kissed him. Has God ever fallen on your neck? Have you ever been kissed by the Holy Spirit? Man, what a joy and what a feeling that is. When we find ourselves so destitute and so far away from God and we take that road back home and God sees us coming and he runs and God lays his his head on our neck and he begins to kiss us with the Holy Spirit. Oh my God, what a feeling that is. What a feeling of cleansing that is. What a feeling that I'm home, Daddy. I'm here, Father. Oh, what a great feeling. The son began his confession. He says, Father, he said, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. And any time that we sin, we sin against heaven, and we sin against the Father. Father and before that could barely leave his lips. The Father had already forgiven him and clothed him in righteousness by putting that cloak on him and placed the ring of sonship on his finger. No amount of good works is going to save us. No amount of good works is going to keep us. It's all simply by the grace of God. For the Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I have nothing at all to brag about in my life. If there's any good in me, it's simply because of the grace of God. Simply because of the grace of God. For God loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son, that if I should believe in him, I would not perish, but I would have everlasting life. Then the welcome feast began. The fatted calf was killed, put on the grill, and the celebration began. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, the Bible says, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. When a person is saved... All of heaven stands, and they begin to shout hallelujahs. And the angels and the choirs up there just begin to praise God that one sinner has repented and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. When I was saved, brother and sister, let me tell you, all of heaven stood up. All the angels began to sing, there's Jim Reader, Hallelujah, he's come home. He's come home. Then look at the demeaning of the older son in verse 15, verses 25 through 30. And for the sake of time, I won't read it all, but I will tell you this. While the older son was out in the field doing his chores, he left the chores and came closer to the house where he heard the music, saw everyone dancing in celebration of the son who was lost but was now found. I remember... The first time i ever danced before the lord now if you ever see me do that don't think that i'm a lunatic and i've just lost my you know my marbles if you ever see me dance before the lord in this church you'll know that it's real because i don't i don't fake stuff in church but i remember the first time the the you know and even the bible says that david danced before the lord down going down the streets but he was naked he didn't care what people thought of him I promise you, I won't be naked. If I dance before the Lord, but anyway, the, the, my point is: my point is simply this: that there was a celebration going on, and when we celebrate, when we celebrate the Father in this body of believers, and we see a person come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. There is a great feast going on in heaven, a great party with lots of music. How do you know there's music in heaven? What do the angels play? Their trumpets, their harps, so forth and so on. There, there will be musical instruments in heaven. Yeah, <laughs> Amen. Well, when the older son inquired as what was going on and was told, he became very angry. This is a picture of the scribes and Pharisees. The self-righteous of the older son was quick to point out the sins of the brother, but could not see his own sin and would not come and join the feast. And his father went out and said, son, please, please come and join us. And the son says, no, I'm not. You gave my brother his inheritance. He went out and wasted all that. I've got nothing to do with him. How many times have we ignored a brother or sister in need or in want? The younger brother was dead in trespass and sin, but now was more alive than ever. He was lost, but now is found. We're all prone to wander in a far country. We're all prone to sin. As Paul stated, the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would, not that I do. And how true that is. We know to do good, but sometimes we don't. I know that's true with me, and I would assume that it's also true with everyone here. But sometimes we really want to do the right thing, and sometimes we just don't do it. Sin just creeps in, no matter how small it is. No matter how infinitesimal it may seem. But the Bible says that God the Father delighted himself in his Son, and that God the Father delights himself in every one of us when we come out of the far country into his house after repentance and exercising faith that we would be accepted just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Amazing. Even at this homecoming and celebration, there was the shedding of blood when the fatted calf was killed, and Jesus shed his blood that we could be welcomed into the family and the kingdom of God. So I say, in closing, that we sometimes are faced with a decision how close do I want to be to God? Do I want to be close enough just to have what is necessary? Or do I want to be so close that I would be clothed in his righteousness? Do I want to be so close that I can feel the very presence of God with, his, his, with himself on my neck? Do I want to be so close to the presence of the Holy Spirit that I can feel the warmth loving kiss of the Holy Spirit. That's how close I want to be. I want to feel the very presence of God in my life ever so strongly that God has his head on my neck. And I can feel the kiss and the breath of the Holy Spirit. Is that what you desire? I believe you do. And I pray this morning that that you will ask God just to do that, to lay his head on your neck and to be kissed by the Holy Spirit. There is no kiss like the kiss of the Spirit of God. I love kissing my wife. We duo while I'm in Georgia working. And I see her there on the phone. We're talking back and forth. we get getting ready to go. I'll put that phone to my, my mouth and I'll kiss her and that duo you know what a duo is right everybody knows the duo that's where you talk to somebody you can see them while you're talking to them and I'll kiss that phone now if you saw me doing this, that Jim Reeder has lost his ever loving mind what is he doing kissing his cell phone but I'll kiss that phone several times just to tell my wife that I love her and I miss her that's what God wants to do he wants to kiss you He wants to lay his head on your neck. He wants to show you that he loves you immensely and intensely. Let him do that. And I know that you'll have such a, a great experience from that, that it will be quite overwhelming. Let us pray. Father, when we find ourselves wandering from you, into a country or into a place that we have not been before. There is a 180 that we can do. We can turn around and come back to a home, to a father who loves us and wants the best for us. And I pray if there's one soul here, someone listening or watching that needs to be assured that they are your child. I pray you'll lay your head on their neck and I pray the Holy Spirit will give them a great big kiss and let them know that they are loved and they are welcome into your home. They are welcome into your kingdom and there is nothing they have done that you will not forgive and that you will not accept no matter how bad it may seem, Father, I pray that person or persons will come to know you in a way they have never known before. Thank you for the the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the comfort that it brings. In Jesus' name, amen.